Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Today on the show, I am welcoming my new friend, Dr. Joe Martin, founder of Real Men Connect. Welcome to Husband Material, Joe. Drew, it is a pleasure to be here, um, not just because we're doing a podcast. Every guest say that when they say, oh, it's a pleasure to be here. No, because this has been a long time coming. We um, have crossed some of the same circles. We know some of the same people, and they got us connected, which I believe is a divine appointment. So thank you, man. It is a pleasure to finally meet you and talk to you on the show. We talked prior to this, but I'm talking about now to get to see your face. And I didn't know you were so handsome. I will give you some props for that. I didn't know you were so handsome, bro. But um, it is my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on the show. You're welcome. Today, we're going to talk about your story of healing and freedom and going from rags to riches to ruin to redemption. What does that mean? Well, that, that is me summarizing my story, Drew, into pretty much four main chapters of my life. I call it the ESPN version of my story because everybody has a story. Um, I've just been able to tell my story more succinctly by defining it that way, rags to riches to ruin to redemption, because the rags part is the story that um, probably started. It started it all because I grew up in a very tough environment. The typical urban environment that you hear about in one of the toughest inner city ghettos in a place called Miami, Florida, um, called Liberty City. And for those listeners out there who've never heard of Liberty City, It may sound vaguely familiar to them, so I'm going to help them understand where I came from, where I grew up. If they're over, if they're under the age, if they're over the age of 40, they've heard of Liberty City because of a rap group called Two Live Crew. I'm dating myself now. Okay, that's what we're famous for or infamous for. Um, If they've heard of Liberty City before and they're under the age of 40, it's because of a video game called Grand Theft Auto. And so. That's how most people know about where I grew up. And if they make a video game about your city, that's not a good thing, Drew. And so I grew up in a very tough environment. So the rags part of my story is my mom was a teenage mother. She had two kids by the time she was 17. I was the oldest. So my sister and I are just a year and um, 27 days apart. But I grew up in a, an environment full with not just poverty, but abuse. And we're talking about physical and even sexual abuse. Uh, where I suffered through sexual abuse for three years. I was suicidal from 12 to 16 years old. A lot of violence. Um, I watched six of my friends get murdered um, in front of me at by the time I reached the age of 16. Um, a lot of um, um, criminal activity. I had a dozen friends who were incarcerated. Uh, when I mentioned we were poor, it got to a point that it was times when we didn't that we didn't eat, that my sister used to steal food from her job, her fast food job, just so we could eat. And everything that comes along with that, my mom also was going through her tough time, who's now deceased now, but she struggled and battled with alcoholism. And she was a, a good mom when she was sober, but boy, she was just swing. The pendulum would swing when she would start drinking. And I'm not saying that to dishonor my mom. Uh, when my mom was living, I would tell the story and my mom would be in the audience as I told the story because um, Jesus Christ did a remarkable job in her life and redeemed her. Um, but it wasn't until after my childhood. And so my, my sister and I went through a lot of pain and suffering and horrible stuff that a lot of people who can relate growing up in the inner city in the hood or growing up poor can relate to. So that was the rags part. And most of my friends never survived that. They never got out of the rags part of it. They ended up either in jail or um, ended up dead um, because of the circumstances. But um, in spite of that, the richest part came and I say riches cause it just good alliteration, but I wasn't like Jay-Z rich you know what I mean? or Jeff Bezos rich, but no, considering where I came from and what I was able to do after I came out of the hood was truly remarkable because I didn't do it based on the kids who made it out of our hood usually made it through athletics. A lot of the professional athletes you see came from Liberty city and some people, I don't even want to give them credit because they've heard of their names and like. Right now, what's the guy's name right now in um, playing football that walked off the field? What's his name? Um, I played for Tom Brady in the Buccaneers. I can't remember his name, but it's Brown, something Brown. Like, but he he grew up in Liberty City. He grew up in my neighborhood. So the only way out of our our neighborhood was to be an athlete, whether basketball, football, or baseball. Jose Canseco came from um, Miami in Liberty City, grew up there in that area. 
And so that was the only way out. But for me, I was able to make it out, not on that, but based on sheer willpower and determination by becoming the first person in my family to graduate from high school, the first to go to college, graduated college early at the age of 20, graduated top of my class um, out of 10,000 students on my campus. And I was the only student of color in all of my classes throughout college. And out of 10,000 students, I was voted student of the year on that campus. Um, bought my first house when I was a senior in college. A year after I graduated in college, moved my mom out of the projects. Um, 22 years old, started my first business, um, a clothing store with my wife. I got married at 22 years old, which is a young age to get married, but I got married at 22. Um, I became the youngest professor ever to hire to teach in the state of Florida at the age of 24. Um, I worked for the Florida governor's office at the age of 26 as a communications director, had my PhD by the time I was 28. And I think you're getting the point. <laughs> so I wasn't wealthy. I wasn't like, um, you know, even rich, rich, but I was rich compared to where I came from. And all that came out of, out of just sheer determination and working my butt off. And I realized now that it was really overcompensation for all the pain that I endured as a child. And I was trying to outrun it. So that became the rich part. I had everything a man could ever want. I was married. I had now a son of my own. I had everything I ever wanted to have by the time I reached the age of 30. Had more money than I could spend. My wife didn't have to work. And I'm in my 20s. But I lost it all by the time I reached the age of 40. That was the ruined part, Drill, of the story. Because of my addiction to porn, um, I became a full-blown sex addict. Because you know, porn pretty much is a, just a gateway to other things that you can get into and things that probably should have got me incarcerated. Um, things that I've been, and the worst thing you can do to a person who is an addict, whether they're porn, drugs, alcohol, gambling is for them to have resources. I had a lot of money and that's a dangerous cocktail to give somebody with a porn and sex addiction, unlimited resources. So I could do and get whatever I wanted anytime I wanted. So it wasn't just looking at what's on the screen. I could have it. Because if you have enough money, you can get to what you want. So I may not be able to get J-Lo, but I can get somebody really close to J-Lo. <laughs> Are you following me? And so that was my detriment. And it brought me down and it ruined a 16-year marriage that I had with my wife when I was in my 30s. And we were childhood sweethearts. I met her I, when we got married. I was 22. She was 20. I met her when she was a senior in high school and I was a freshman in college. And so she was a virgin when she met me. Now, imagine now. Going from that, getting married, and now you have everything you ever wanted. You married this man, your prince charming. And then I became a serial adulterer. And Drew, I, I made up the term serial adulterer because I couldn't come up with a better word for it. Because you become a serial adulterer when you lose track of the bodies. And you can't rem remember how many acts you've committed. And when I was trying to save my marriage, my ex-wife, I was pleading with her. I, I had to come clean. I had to be honest. And she said, well, how many women have you been with? She said, is it, is it more than um, 10? I said, yeah. She said, is it more than 20? I said, yeah. Has it been more than 50? I said, please stop asking. Please. And she never got to what the number really was. And I won't even tell your audience what the number was because they will stop listening to me now because they'll say I have no credibility after, if they listen to me. They wouldn't want to hear anything I have to say about being a husband or father um, if they heard that. So she couldn't handle that. So she left. So I lost everything. Lost pretty much half my wealth, risked my health is by the grace of God. I didn't have AIDS because that's when back in the day um, you're talking about now about what, 16, 17, going on 17 years ago when they didn't have all the drugs to treat, you know, HIV and all this other stuff. But by the grace of God, I didn't come up with some type of disease that could have been terminal for me because there was sometimes I used uh, I was unprotected in the sex that I had. And so my wife ended the marriage. The only thing I got out of it was um, joint custody of my son, which I am thankful for because we have a close relationship today. And so that was my ruin part. The redemption part came when a man came into my life when I was in my late 30s, going into my 40s, and who came alongside of me and showed me what a real man was. I thought I knew what a real man was, but I didn't until I got to live with him for a week in his home with him, his wife, and his eight kids. Five boys, three girls. And what I saw blew my mind because I grew up in a neighborhood that by the time I graduated from high school, I only had one friend who had a dad in the home and their family was dysfunctional because his mom was a numbers runner and his dad sold VHS tapes out of his car, bootleg tapes, which tells you how old I am because there was VHS tapes 
<laughs> out of the back of his trunk. And so when I, but I, when I met this man, his name was Howard Mintz. It changed everything for me. And I saw, wow, this is what a real man does. This is what a husband does. This is what a father does. This is what a man of God does. I didn't know this. And I've been, I grew up in church my whole life and didn't see anything like this before. Cause there was predominantly women in our church. And I asked him humbly, man, I know you got eight kids, but would you adopt just one more? And he broke down crying and he agreed to, and he's been my spiritual father for the last, I guess now going on 17 years. And there's not a day that has gone by that he hasn't texted me and just, and he still has been teaching me and doing that process over the years of me knowing Howard and it changed my life. I asked him, I said, man, what could I do to ever repay you? He said, Joe, you don't have to, owe, you don't owe me anything. He said, but if you want to do one thing for me, I said, yeah, you just name it. He says, go make disciples. And I didn't know what that was. He says, to do what I've done for you, to walk alongside you, answering your questions about manhood, about husbandhood, about fatherhood, about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Open your lives up to them. Do life with them, alongside of them. Eat with them, pray with them, laugh with them, cry with them. I've gone through everything, even with his life. I've gone through it with him and watch how he's going through. He said, go do the same for others. And that led me to Real Men Connect. That's why we say real men connect. They, they're in community. And this is a discipleship identity restoration organization ministry for men. We do life together 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. That's the kind of access they have to me and any brother in our organization. And most men are shocked by that because they don't ever think they can get to the top, to the person, the, the quote pastor or the elder in the church. These guys can reach out to me and I can reach out to them anytime. And I'm not just doing life separate from them. I'm going to them when I'm struggling. And they're praying for me because I want them to know that my life is just not the highlight reels. It's real life. So that's the rags to riches to ruin redemption story for me. And now I'm living in that redemption phase now that I'm in my 50s. Amazing. Just want to stop for a moment and worship God. He's good, Drew. You know how good God is. And please, God, help me keep it together. One part I didn't tell you about the redemption part is he restored my life. I now am married again in my second marriage. I tell people I represent messy Christianity. Not only did he bless me with a wife, that, that enough is God, I give you glory because what woman would want to be with a man like me? I'm tainted. God, if my, what woman is not going to ask you when you're dating you what happened in your first marriage? You were married for 16 years. What happened? You know, they all asked you when I started dating again. And when I tell them, what do you think the looks on their faces? What? Why would any woman want to marry a man like that? Who could trust a man like that? By the grace of God, God gave me another wife. I still have a close relationship with my son, but Drew, you know how good God is? My wife was a single mom. She has a daughter, not my biological daughter. God's grace and his mercy. He would trust me with a daughter. My daughter is now 19 years old. When I met her, her dad walked out on her when she was five. When I met Tanya, when we got married, I've been married to Tanya now going on 10 years um, this year. I met, I became faith father when she was 10. And the whole time I'm thinking, God, who am I to have a daughter? You trust me? What I've done to women, to daughters, women who, who know you, who now that now I've left a bad taste in their mouth about godly men because I've been the biggest hypocrite. I can't I still can't get my mind around it. That God would trust me with a daughter. And my daughter even said it herself. She said, Daddy, how come every time you talk to me about being my father, you start crying? I said, because I don't deserve you. I don't deserve to have a daughter. I said, Faith, do you understand? Because she knows what I've been through. And even when I had to tell her at 12 what my story was, you know what her reaction, a, a, a girl's honest reaction to, this is her reaction. 
Daddy, you were nasty. That's what she said. <laughs> Daddy, you were nasty. And she, but she wept when I told her about the abuse. And she cringed when I told her about the infidelities and adultery and how I broke my son Kendall's mom's heart. But at the same time, I said, Faith, I don't deserve you. I don't deserve your mom. But by God's grace, he says, but now I can trust you with both of them. With both of them. Drew, saying God is good is not adequate for what he's done for me in my life. I'm still, I still can't believe it. And what I can tell you, even in my faults and my flaws, my mistakes, I've been faithful to my wife and this girl who's now a beautiful woman who we just went on a daddy daughter date when she came home from college this past weekend. Aunt God is God is not just good. God is beyond our comprehension because it makes no sense to me. Leading men and now I have a daughter. Are you serious? That's crazy talk. But man, I'm telling you, he's more than good. He's indescribable. Yeah, that's who he is. He brings the best out of the worst situations. And he gives us this position of trust. Like he trusts us. Us? (laughs) What? (laughs) Unbelievable. Because you know you. (laughs) I know me. And we're like, wow, you must got a lot of faith in me. And I think what it is, he trusts his spirit in us, Drew. Mm-hmm. He knows Drew Boa is going to be faithful to the ministry I'm giving him. He knows Drew Boa is going to represent me well as an ambassador and not hide and not try to pretend and fake, but be real, authentic and transparent because they're going to represent me well. He wouldn't have given you that platform. He wouldn't have given me this platform if he didn't believe we're going to represent him well. But guess what he will do, Drew? We could always change our minds. And guess what he would do? Yes, sir, he will remove it from us and he will put somebody else in our place who he can trust. So it's, it's the equivalent. That's what I hear God in the spirit always telling me. He says, can I trust you, Joe, or should I send another? Hmm. No, God, you can trust me because I'm leaning on you. If this is not my show, my ministry, my organization, this is yours. And I would do what you've asked me to do, how you've asked me to do it. Yeah. For him to trust us, we have to be trusting him. Yes. You got to be trusting him in the beginning. Absolutely. And the reason why all of this is possible is because you have become a faithful man of God in your sexuality specifically. So how did that happen? How did you get free? Wow, man, that's a loaded question, Drew. There's so many many different things, but um, I'll give you what I've shared with our men about what I think our organization represents. I call it the five um, critical components or key components to being a kingdom man. And before I come across as being wise and full of wisdom, I plagiarized it and stole it from Jesus. All right. (laughs) Stole it from the Bible. I can't take credit for it. Because if you want to um, be a real man, you got to look at what who the original real man was. The one who we said, man, who did it perfectly. We'll never do it perfectly. But why not have that as a model? And I tell you, there's five key ingredients. And this is a conduit of what helped me break free. There's just some specific things within those things. But this is what's the framework. I guess you would call it the foundation. And what I'll do is I'll get specific about a little bit part of the framework. And the key, and I mentioned this in what we do in our organization, identity. I had to know who I was in Christ. And I had to build a personal, intimate relationship with him. We hear that phrase all the time, intimate relationship. But what does it really mean? No, God has to become more real than my wife to me. More real than the children who I can touch and kiss and hug. Real to me. And that's what Howard taught me, that not just to to know about God, not just to have him as your savior, but as your Lord. And how to not only build that relationship that where I'm petitioning God, but I'm hearing from God. And that requires discipleship because we're not taught that we're ABT ain't been taught. You're an ADD, ADHD. Then men are ABT ain't been taught. 
I had to learn how to cultivate and build a personal, intimate relationship with Christ. I didn't know that. So it started with identity, building that relationship with Christ. Now, Jesus had that relationship with the Father, intimacy with the Father. He spent time with the Father. He listened to the Father. He says, I only do and say what I hear the Father say and do. And that got him in trouble because everybody was like, how do you know that? How do you mean you've seen the Father? You're acting like you're God or something. Newsflash, he was. He was with the Father. And he spent time in the Father's presence. We have to do the same as men. So I was taught and trained how to do that. Then the next thing was community. Jesus did not do life alone, even though he could have. He was perfect, lacking nothing. Yet he chooses 12 misfits who, if they were our friends, we would probably disown some of them. We would judge them. But Jesus took these 12 fallible people, and he had others following beyond that, but I'm talking about 12 people who he chose to do life with. Remember I told you, eat with them. They slept together. Okay. They, they work together. They walk together. They laugh together. They cried together. They prayed together. He had a community around him of 12 disciples. So I needed community. Then Jesus also had connection. Now out of those 12 disciples, if you read the scriptures, you will notice something. If you look for it, Jesus experienced a lot of the suffering that we did, pain and suffering. That's why he said there's nothing that we can go through that he can't relate to. Look for Jesus at his highest moment and Jesus at his lowest moments. And guess what you're going to find? You don't see all the disciples. You find out it's three. But guess what, Drew? It's the same three. I call that a clue. Mount Transfiguration. When he's there and he and, and they, they, they experience the prophets and they see, you know, they see Elijah, they see Abraham. And, and, and then you hear what the, the um, Peter, James and Johnson. Wow, this is good. We don't want to go for it. And just, we can't stay here. And they hear the voice from God. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But just we can't stay here because they wanted to pitch tents and camp out there. No, you got to go back to the valley. But it was Peter, James, and John. Where the rest, where the other nine? See, when we say connection, we talk somebody in your inner huddle who you can fall apart of in front of, who you can tell them the worst about you and they not lose respect for you. It's harder to do that in a bigger community because it's always going to be that outlier. I don't know if I can talk to Drew anymore because he said that he has this thing about little children. I don't know if I can handle being around that anymore because I have this thing about people abusing children. Are you following me? Everybody needs uh, somebody in their huddle, a foxhole friend. Jesus had three of those. Now, look at Jesus when he's at his worst, Garden of Gethsemane. He knows he has to go to the cross. So he goes to all the disciples that say, hey, I need y'all to pray for me. No, he doesn't. He go to three guys. Guess who those three guys were? Peter, James, and John. And guess what happened when he prayed and when, when he asked him to pray? They fell asleep on him. In other words, they let Jesus down. They disappointed Jesus. So my question to God as I'm reading the scriptures, God, help me in the Holy Spirit reveal this to me. Jesus, I see the inner circle now that Jesus had with Peter, James, and John. Also, when Jesus did certain healings, Peter, James, and John were there. And he said, don't tell anybody. That sounds like a secret to me. Also, your personal friends, there's secrets you can tell them that you can't tell even maybe your wife, but you can tell these brothers. So I said, but God, I don't get this. I get that. I see it now. I got to have an inner circle of gods. But what I don't understand, they were lousy friends. <laughs> right? I said, they failed him. Why would you put that in the Bible to show us that we can't trust anybody? He says, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit revealed this to me. Jesus still depended on them after he came back. So what is Jesus trying to tell us? Be patient with your inner circle, guys. Because guess what, Drew? I love you, bro, but you're going to let me down. You're going to make a mistake. 
guess what? We may have to say, you may have to come back and say, Joe, I'm sorry, bro. I should have been there for you, but I wasn't. But guess what I can do? Harden my heart because you wasn't there when I needed him the most. Because you were not there one time, but you've been there for 20 years. And I realized that I got to extend grace and mercy to those inner circle. That, and I even tell my inner circle guys, I will let you down. But give me grace and mercy to fix it. Jesus extended that to Peter, James, and John. Because John didn't go anywhere, but Peter denied him. James left. But Jesus went back and restored those relationships. So that connection piece, here's the fourth thing. I call it a coach, a mentor, somebody who can pour into you. Somebody who's not perfect, but they're a little bit ahead of you. And the Bible gives us so much evidence of that. Um, Timothy had Paul to go to. You had um, Elisha had Elijah to go to. David had Nathan. Moses had Jethro, his father-in-law, to go to to pour into him. Joshua had Moses. Peter had Jesus. And guess who Jesus had? The father. I only do and say what I hear the father do and say. Jesus had a coach. Not my will, your will. Somebody had it. And Jesus was perfect. He had to go to father. He couldn't go to another man above him, ahead of him. Nobody was ahead of him but God. But we here in this flesh, we ain't perfect. We're going to need somebody who, another person who's not perfect, but a little bit ahead of us. And to make that more practical, I had to realize, Joe, you achieved a lot. You are that stuff I achieved before I reached the age of 30. Guess what I had to realize when I thought about it? None of that stuff I did, I didn't do it without somebody coaching me on how to do it. How to start my first business. How to become a professor. How to get a, a, a PhD. How to write my first book. How to get a job with the governor's office. How to buy my first home. I was, somebody taught me how to do that. So why did I fail as a man? I had everybody teach me how to succeed as a male, but it wasn't until I met Howard that I learned how to be coached on how to succeed as a man. So I'm always asking, man, who's coaching you? I had to have somebody coach me who's been ahead of me when it comes to what I'm dealing with. Now, the last part, I debated, Drew, because I knew this was the thing that helped me. But I said, I don't see Jesus doing this. But I went to the scriptures and guess what? Jesus told us this. Every man needs a counselor. He needs to get counseling for his past trauma, his pain what he's been through. And here's my first pushback when I, and I, and I thought this would help me. I was in counseling for three years. I was in recovery group for seven years. And I said, Jesus didn't have a, Jesus didn't go get, see counseling. And the Holy Spirit said, keep reading. Jesus was without sin. You're not. Jesus is now living in heaven. You ain't. <laughs> you living on earth. Guess what? You had you you are living in a fallen world. Jesus transcended. But what did he say to the disciples? I must go. You guys want me here, but I can't stay here. Matter of fact, if you knew better, you wouldn't want me to stay here. I must go because I'm going to send you another. Who will lead you and guide you in all truth. You're going to call him your helper. You're going to call him your guide. You're going to call him your comforter. He's your counselor to lead you and guide you in spiritual truth. But since you're in this flesh, you're going to be in relationship with other people who know me. I need you to get some counseling for people who have a biblical foundation and can now can hold you accountable to the word of God to help you examine why you're hurting. How did you become this way? How have you been traumatized? What are your triggers? And so those are the five key components. Now, specifically dealing with my addiction and dealing with porn, it was identity, knowing who I am in Christ. It was intimacy, falling madly in love with him. I'm talking about real intimacy, 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 real intimacy. 
where I opened, I went to, went to God naked and unashamed and fallen in love with him. Identity, intimacy, and then walking in my kingdom authority, realizing that, wow, I do have weapons to fight against this addiction. The, these, these things are coming at me. All I got to do is look what Jesus did. When Jesus was tempted, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Wait a minute, I'm being tempted by those things, especially when it comes to porn. How did Jesus deal with it? Did he white knuckle it? No. Did Jesus punch with his, use his fists and his strength? No. Did Jesus pick up a weapon to um, attack? No. What did Jesus do? Open up his doggone mouth. Because of his identity in the father, his intimacy with the father, now he understood his kingdom authority. So Jesus spoke against that. Now, these are the spiritual weapons that God had revealed to me. Your identity, your intimacy, and your authority. I said, God, but I'm here in this flesh. Now, what do you want me to use now with the weapons here on earth? He says, honesty. Don't lie about your addiction. Don't lie about your struggle. Don't lie about your emotions. Tell the truth. God, but you know, there's people out there. That's why here's the fifth component. In community with accountability. You're going to need accountability to being honest about your struggles. So that's why I say it's a loaded question, but that's what I've been walking in. And this year, matter of fact, I don't want to date the show, but I don't know when it's coming out. But as of next week will be my 17th year of walking in sexual purity. 17 years, bro. Yeah, man. Glory be to God. And people always ask me, how did you do it? Now, but here's the difference, Drew. And that's why I remember I, when we talked before, I said, man, I'm just so excited about what you guys are doing because I'm seeing this younger generation coming up. That I'm saying, what if I had this when I was younger? This is what I tell guys. They said, what did you do? And I tell them all this stuff. I said, but here's the blessing for you guys. It took me 17 years to learn all of this. I'm giving it to you right now. And you have access to this stuff now to get the accountability. You have the opportunity to be honest. Now somebody's going to disciple you on how to build an identity in Christ, how to have that intimacy, how to walk in your kingdom authority. You have counselors at your disposal and now knowing how to pick the right counselors. You have this, how to, to pick, put the right friends in your inner circle. I had to figure this stuff out by trial and error. And only one guy was teaching me. You guys have an army of men around you now. How blessed are you? And you know what it takes me back to, Drew? When um, that joke they say about, about they, say when, when they say when people get to heaven, they're going to say, wow, they're going to see all the disciples. They're going to see the, the um, prophets and the great patriarchs before us and say, man, Moses, it had to be great. What do you mean? That you heard, you and Abraham, y'all heard God's voice. Man, you could hear him. And I said, and then Moses is going to say, no, it had to be better to be the disciples. Because they got to walk with Jesus, man. They got to talk with Jesus. And then the disciples said, what are y'all talking about? It's got to be great to be you guys. He's living in you. Y'all had all access to him. Do you know what we could have done if he lived in us? He's living in you. And we never got to experience the fullness that you guys have. We're, in a, we're blessed to be here. And these guys who are now coming behind us, Drew, who you're reaching out to, they're blessed that because somebody is going ahead of you saying, wow, we're going to help your journey be a little less bumpy. <laughs> we're, going to get, we're going to give you the opportunity to go in this process as fast as you want to go or as slow as you want to go. Where the people before them, we, like me, we had to, quote, figure it out. And we had to go at the pace that one person was teaching us. Now they have access to as much information and much relationship as they want to. How cool is that? You know, it reminds me of Second Peter chapter 1, where it says that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Yeah. Lacking nothing. That's a good place to be. Mm -hmm. So this is what God showed you, what a real man consists of, this identity intimacy, community, connection, authority. And one of the things that I've really appreciated you talking about is how the authority allowed you to change your relationship with the past abuse. Mm -hmm. How did that happen for you? 
Well, man, what a question. I start with me, and I know a lot of men can relate to this, Drew. I know you can too through your story too, of um, forgiving myself. I thought the hard part was going to be forgiving my abuser. Um, I thought the hard part was going to be forgiving my dad for abandoning me. I thought it was going to be forgiving my mom for her addiction to alcohol. And that was a process and it was hard. But it was nothing compared to me learning to forgive myself. And talking about that kingdom authority where I get to speak it. Um, the enemy who is real, believe it or not, he is real. There is an enemy out there who wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. And he will go through anything and use any means necessary to kill your who you are, your identity in Christ. To steal, um, um, steal your identity in Christ and ruin your relationships and to destroy your destiny. And when I was struggling with forgiving myself, man, the voices, it was your fault. The abuse. You could have stopped it anytime you wanted to. All you had to do is tell somebody, but guess what? You were too weak to tell anybody. You didn't tell him and all this stuff. Even when I went through the divorce with um, my ex-wife, it really got bad then. The voices. All your fault. Man, you're lousy. You're not good enough. You're not worth it. You call yourself a Christian. Now, I want I want you to listen and watch this. All this stuff. I'm tormented by these voices. You're a hypocrite. You were in the church when you were doing all this. You will never have any more credibility. Nobody's ever going to listen to you. Your ex-wife would never even, she don't even trust you now with your son, even though you have joint custody, because she knows what kind of man you really are. You had her fooled and she can't trust you farther than she can see you. You're lousy. You're worthless. You're nothing. And I couldn't beat it. I could not run the voices. And to God spoke to my heart. And now I speak back to the enemy. Here's the problem. The enemy speaks to us. The problem is we do too much listening. We don't speak back. People ask me when they come on my show, Drew, and you're going to be on our show. They ask, and I'm going to ask you the question: What is your favorite Bible verse that gives you inspiration from the Word of God, and why? No one ever asked me that question when I go on somebody's show, but I tell them the reason why I ask that question because of my anchor verse that helps me deal with the enemy's voices. And it's this. They said, Joe, what's your uh, favorite verse? I said, it's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old man is gone and all things have been made new. That is my anchor. It wasn't it didn't used to be my favorite verse until the enemy was defeating me and crushing me under the weight of me not forgiving myself for what I've done. So every time it, re- guess what? He's still trying to, I'm getting ready to be 17 years old. It still happens. I still hear this voice that's saying, oh, you're, you're not, you know, but look at what you did. Nobody respects you. They just acting like they respect you for what you've been through. But they really think you're crazy and you're nasty and this, and you're the biggest. Uh. And guess what I say? Yes, you might be right. But if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old man is gone. All things have been made new. And I keep saying that to them. And one of the things I do now, and I've taught our men to do this, because I don't know what their favorite Bible verse is going to be. But we come up with something we call the real man reality. And this has helped me to deal with that, with those voices and forgiving myself. I don't call, I don't say anything to myself now, Drew, that God doesn't say about me. I used to. Even when my ex-wife asked me, she says, I, I want to forgive you and I keep forgiving you. But every time I see you, when I used to pick up my son when he was younger, now he's getting ready to graduate from college. She said, I get so angry, which I understand, uh, understood that. Because I said, how could he have done this to me in our family? How? She said, and I keep saying, God, help me forgive him because I know you told me I need to forgive him. And I want to, but I just get so angry with him. She said, but Joe, she called me Joseph. My wife is funny. All the women in my life call me Joseph. Nobody calls me Joe except my friends, right? She says, Joseph, well, I just want to ask you something. She says, I don't see you walking around with shame. I don't see you walking around with guilt. I saw it initially when I got a divorce from you, but now you come into the house, you whistling. You ask me how I'm doing and you all happy and you ain't even married. You single, you, you know, I don't get it. How can you not be walking around with guilt and shame? You see, I'm not saying I want you to have it, but I'm having a hard time forgiving you. 
How have you forgiven yourself? Maybe you tell me how you did it. Maybe it'll help me forgive you easier. And I told her, she said, please don't be mad at me for asking. I said, no, I think it's a fair question. I said, well, God had to deal with me on this. And this is what led to the real men reality that I share with our men now of discipling them. They had now I'm giving them the easy way. I had to learn the hard way. I said, God saw me in my pity party and he asked me, um, he says, I got two things for you. I said, what's that? The Holy Spirit is speaking to my heart. He says, you hate yourself, don't you? I said, yes, I do. He said, tell me from a scale from one to 10, how much do you hate yourself? I said, God, 150? My son has to grow up without two parents. I tried to break the cycle of divorce. Nobody in our family stayed married. I thought I was going to break the chain, and now I'm part of the generational curse. God, I need to be under hell, 150. God, that's how much I hate myself. Now, I don't know how the Holy Spirit speaks to other guys, but God is pretty blunt with me. He says, are you done now? <laughs> right? I said, I said, huh? He says, you told me you hate yourself from 150, right? He says, I've watched you and I've let you walk this journey. But now I'm going I'm to say something to you and I want you to hear me very clearly. It shook me to my core. You know how much you hate you? I knew you were going to say 150. I know that's how much you hate yourself. But you know how much you hate yourself? I love you even more. And let me tell you something that you don't that you need to hear right now. You can't possibly hate yourself more than I love you. You can try. But it ain't going to happen. Now, you can keep doing it, but I have it to eternity. You don't. How long do you want to keep playing this game of the pity party and walking around in this shame when I got so much more planned for you? So I told my ex-wife this. She's listening to this and she got real quiet. You said, he said, Joe, but you said he said two things to you. I said, yeah, maybe God thought I was hard headed because he told me that. And I thought that was enough that I can't hate me more than he loves me. But then he told me this. He says, you know, when you were trying to save your marriage and you told her you were brutally honest, even about the, you know, when she kept asking. And I said and, and I told her, I said, I didn't hide anything from you. Every question you asked me, even the most embarrassing ones. And she asked me some embarrassing questions, Drew. I was honest. She says, now, here's the here's what she doesn't know. You did more than what she asked you about. She never asked you a certain things that I know you did and you know you did and you're beating yourself up over it. And you're just thankful she didn't ask you about it. Here's what I want you to tell me, Mr. Pity Party. The stuff that I saw you do that you and I know that you haven't told anybody. Name one of those things you did that my son didn't die for on the cross. He said, I'll wait till eternity. Tell me the most despicable thing you hate yourself for doing that you never thought you'd do in a million years. And, and, and tell me that my son didn't die for, two, die for that too on the cross. That has morphed into what we call our real men reality. Because I've shared this with our men. They said, wow, Joe, that's probably, she said, how did your ex-wife respond when you said that? She got quiet. She didn't say another word. And from that day forward, I think that healed our relationship. Because now she realized that God, everything he's saying is true. So who am I to not forgive him if you already have? And no matter how much I hate him, you won't love him more than I hate him, even more than he hates himself. And what could I say that was so bad that he did? I wish I could say, but your son didn't die for that. But I know he did. So who am I to withhold forgiveness from him? And now we have a amicable relationship, even though my son is grown now and a grown adult, we still have an amicable relationship because of that. But here's our real men reality. And this is for our members. And I have them memorize this, Drew, not because uh, as a rule, because they need it. Because shame didn't just stop at my door. He's visiting your house, too. Regret, guilt is going to visit all of our homes. But you got to be prepared with your mouth and even have it in your mind, even if you can't speak, to combat the enemy, to push him back. And every time we speak this reality, the enemy has to flee. Not just 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I put it in this. This is what I say. And I have every guy adopted. And I'm going to say this, Drew, to you now as if God is speaking this to you. We do it like in third person. And I do it in first person. 
but I'm going to do it now. God speaking it directly to you because I want the men to hear God speaking to them as I say it. Drew, my son, you are powerful because my spirit lives within you. Drew, you are valuable, valuable to me, and I can prove it because I sacrificed my only son for you. So, Drew, when I look at you, I don't see your sins. I see the righteousness of my son, Jesus Christ. That means when you're afraid, you can come to me unashamed, unafraid. You are blameless to me because I consider you holy. Drew, even though you battle with this, I'm telling you this because this is your new born again identity in my son, Jesus Christ. That means as you allow me to renew your mind, Drew, according to my truth, not your trauma, not your past, not your mistakes, not your pain, not your hurt, not your parents, not your old girlfriends, not your old relationship, not your old boyfriends. If you allow me to renew your mind according to my truth, Drew, I will give you the grace to live, to love, and to lead righteously. Now, Drew, how can I believe that? And now I think I want to go masturbate. I think I want to go look at some porn. I think I go. I think I want to go sleep with a woman who's not my wife. Because, yes, I can. But that doesn't line up with who God says I am. That's not me. That's the old man. The new man is this real man reality. That's why. When we meet, they, they, I want them to recite it and they got to know it. And we hold them accountable. You, I'm not doing this as your rule. You need this. You won't survive until you believe this is what he says about you. And even tell men this, if this, if this is too hard, write your own real men reality. Just call yourself what God calls you. And do you know in that, it's really only like five or six sentences. But do you know in those five, or six sentences, we had one of our guys look up. There's got to be at least 40 scripture references to that, to what I just said. At least 40, Drew. Come on now. So how can the enemy win? When you open up your mouth and you're in six sentences, you're speaking 40 verses. Jesus only spoke one at a time to him three times to him and he flee. In less than 30 seconds, you can speak something to him and he has to flee. Oh, he coming back. But every time, open up your mouth and tell him, yes, but God says I am powerful because the Holy Spirit dwells within me. Yes, but God said I am valuable to him because he sacrificed his only son for me. Yes, I hear what you're saying, devil. But God says when he sees me, he sees the righteousness of his son, not my sins. Yes, I know what you said, devil. But God says I come to him blameless, unashamed, and I am considered holy. I know what you said, devil, but he says, this is my new born again identity in Christ. I know what you said, but he says, if I renew my mind according to his truth, he will give me grace to live, to lead and to love righteously. So devil flee from me and he's out because he's a punk. And he'll come back another time. But guess what, devil? I'm going to do the same thing to you every time. And I'm going to get into the community and I'm going to tell men about you trying to attack me. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to be authentic. Because guess what? You should have destroyed me when you had the freaking chance. You had me. And you and, and guess what? God didn't let you get me. And now it's too late, devil. I'm going to make you regret the day you didn't take me out when you had a chance. And I've been doing it now for the last 17 years, Drew. Last 17 years. And I didn't launch Real Men Connect. To, it was six years ago when we launched Real Men Connect because I realized that, wow, there's a lot of men out there just like me who think that, man, they can't outrun their past. It's just too bad what they've done, the, the damage and the collateral damage and the scrap metal that comes from blowing up families. And I want them to know, guess what? I'm like Paul. I'm the chief, chief center among you. 
I blew up my covenant. I didn't just break it. I blew it up. And not to mention what I did to the lives of all of those women out there. And Drew, we're talking hundreds of women that guess what? I made them question their faith. I was a stumbling block to them. I've ruined marriage, other people's covenants because of me. I'm the chief among the sinners. And if he can do this with me and he's not a respected person, what more could God do in your life? If you surrender and submit to him, he brought me out of the shame. He brought me out of the guilt. He brought from my past. So even if you judge me, you're just a judge, but you ain't the judge. And that, if he can do this for me, Drew, I know he can do it for any man who's willing to receive. Joe, thank you so much. Guys, if you're listening to this, what is God saying to you right now? What is he speaking over you? What is he inviting you into? And maybe even more than that, what do you want to speak right now? Because using our authority means opening our mouth. Mm -hmm. So even while you're listening to this podcast, guys, open your mouth. Speak the truth in love. See what happens. This is how we live out that identity. And nothing can stop us when we are aligned with it. I always um, say this tongue in cheek, but man, Drew, and I can't wait. I, you know, I love my life, love what God is doing it, but man, I can't wait to get to heaven. And here's why, Drew. God says in his word that we know we have salvation because we believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and believe what he did and sacrifice on the cross. We know that as believers. But there's something beyond that. And the Bible talks about it as being eternal rewards. That everything that we quote think was good that we did is going to be put through the fire. And whatever is pure is going to remain. And that's going to be eternal rewards where we're getting crowns. Here's why I can't wait to get to heaven. Because I know I've made a lot of mistakes. But I can't wait to see the eternal rewards that drew that we will be totally unaware of because we were faithful. And what I mean by that, and I hope this isn't going to cause being arrogant, you know, Drew, and I know that we do the show, our shows, and people listen to it. We have our communities and we see these people. But what we don't ever see is the ripple effects of what our show does and what our community does for. There's wives we haven't met. There's children we'll never see. There's um, marriages we'll never be part of. But starting with something changed in that man that ripples out. And you know what made me think of this is when I thought about my, um, my Howard. He's not on social media. People thought he was, people keep thinking he's a figment of my imagination because they never see him until <laughs> I show pictures of him. I said, no, this is real. This is Howard. But they never see him on anything. I said, I remember telling Howard, this is what made me think, but I can't wait to get to heaven. I said, Howard, I said, man, I got to tell you, when we get to heaven, I'm going to ask God for a special request. And the special request is going to be this. When Howard stands before you, please let me be present. <laughs> right? He says, Joe, why? I said, because when God shows you your eternal rewards, I can't wait to see the look on your face. When you look with this astonishment, you're like, God, but I've never been to Australia. I've never, I've never ministered in um, Guatemala. God, I've never even, I've never put foot in Canada, in South America, in Honduras. God, I've never been to China. How did I impact people over there? When you discipled, and you brought Joe Martin to your home, And you poured into him what you did to the least of them you've done unto me. Howard, I just want to see the look on your face. I was just one person. And the, the ripples of facts. You ought to never met you. If it wasn't for Howard. We think our mutual friends connected us. No. 
it had to start somewhere. The path that we were on had to be redirected. And guess what? That redirection path led me back to you, Drew. Howard has never met you, Drew. Unbelievable. I just want to see the looks on his face. Because then I said, wait a minute. The same thing's going to happen to me. It's going to happen to you, Drew. That when you stand for God, you'll be happy and thrilled. And then he's going to show your eternal rewards. And you're going to think, God, but when did I? And Drew, it's going to be somebody. We just talking about our family, our wives, and our kids. I'm talking about people we never met. That just humbles me. Oh, that humbles me. And I can't wait because I keep thinking I'm such a screw up. And I made so many mistakes, but he said, I know that. That's why it's covered under the blood. But I'm going to show you what faithfulness, what, what a little your faithfulness did. Mm. Just a little bit. And I ain't going to be able to do anything else, Drew, but fall to my knees and in my face says, I'm not worthy. Glory, glory to your name. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. Holy are you. I am unworthy. And you're going to say, stand up, my son. Stand up. Well done. My good and faithful servant. Well done. Oh, my God, I can't wait, Drew. I can't wait. I can't wait. I want to see him so bad. I can't wait to hear those words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Not husband of the year, daddy of the decade, successful businessman. You are servant. You were faithful with little. Now I'm going to bless you with much. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my, I can't wait, Drew. I can't wait. So thank you for your faithfulness to God in what you're doing. Man, I'm so excited about our friends and what we're all doing. And we're all pointing in the same direction. And I don't care what the media is saying and what social media. There's an army that's coming. And we, if we got to do a one-man one husband, one father, one family at a time. That's exactly what we're going to do. That's exactly what we're going to do, man. So thank you for having me on the show, man. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Joe, I'm speechless. It's all worth it. <laughs> yeah, man. Even the smallest little decisions have such a huge impact that we can't see. Joe, as you look back on your 17 years of freedom from porn, what's your favorite thing about it? My favorite thing about looking back, my favorite, uh, that he's faithful, even when I, even when I haven't been. Nothing that I did deterred God enough. And I'm talking about, I said, I've had some angry conversations with God. I've said, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't know why you're doing this to me. Where were you when I was being abused? Where were you? Why didn't you save my marriage? I mean, I mean, just flat out anger and vitriol towards God. And he remained faithful to me. Wow. He never gave up on me. That's my favorite thing because I've given him so many reasons to. And he still loved me. That has to be my favorite thing that, wow, he is faithful even when I'm not. Yeah. Doesn't change him. But he says, I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to change you. Mm-hmm. And all and all I need is a crack. Yeah. In that pride, in that ego, and watch what I do. And I remember those times when I finally cracked and cried out, Abba, Father, and guess what? <laughs> That's when I met Howard. He led me to Howard. And it was oh, and I and I look back, and that when I look back, I said, like, "Wow, God was faithful." And you see the little traces of grace throughout my life. That's why when I see my daughter and check, oh, 
I didn't tell you my daughter's name, Drew. It's Faith. That's my daughter's name. And my wife didn't, when she gave her that name, she didn't spell it F-A-I-T-H. Faith spells her name F-A-Y-T-H-E. I said, Tanya, why did you spell Faith's name F-A-Y-T-H-E? She said, because it stands for something. I said, stands for what? Forsaking all, yet trust him evermore. Wow. You, I can't make this up, bro. Forsaken all, yet trust him evermore. My daughter's name is Faith. That I, when I say that I don't deserve, that's, that's our God. That's my favorite part. That. What kind of God is this? That means it's like he, he knew all of it. He, when I was, when I, before I was formed in my mother's womb, he knew all of it. Nothing I've done has surprised God. Nothing. I wasn't, he knew I was going to make mistakes, but I wasn't one. And he knew all the mistakes I was going to make. But my life wasn't a mistake. I was a mistake. I made lots of mistakes, but God says, you have no idea. You see today, but I see tomorrow. It was a recipe for redemption. Yeah. He knew, boy, watch. I'm going to get so much glory out of this. It's going to blow your mind. It's like there are all these ingredients that that he's putting into this recipe and by their own, these ingredients, they taste really bad. And it's like, why would you put that in there? But then why you put that in there. <laughs> <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> then the final result tastes so good. You remember that was that movie, that Disney movie, um, Ratatouille. Yeah. Remember that movie Ratatouille. And when that guy, that critic tasted the um, food for, and he's like, it took him back to his childhood. Yeah. We're looking at, Oh, that, that just don't make, and then we taste it. I think it takes us back. Like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen or ever tasted in my life. I didn't know it was going to be like this. I had no idea. I had no, I can't even take credit for any of this because he knew I didn't. And the same God who is writing your story and writing my story is at work. He's the author with each of us. And, and what is that? He's the author and finisher of our what? Faith. <laughs> yeah. Joe, thank you so much for being on the show, for telling your story. Thank you for opening your mouth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you may not know this, Joe, but my favorite verse of the Bible is what I say at the end of every episode. It's Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. A voice from heaven came saying, you are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. You know what? I, I heard you say that on your podcast. I didn't know that is your favorite verse, though. I love that. Do you know we never had a guest who said that was their favorite verse ever? Out of 600 and something shows we've done, we've never had a guest say that's their favorite verse. But guess what? If anything, that's the verse they need to hear Yeah. and to receive. Yeah. We read that verse and think, oh, that's nice for Jesus. Yeah, that's nice for Jesus. Yeah, exactly. What about me? Not me. Yeah. And all those voices come back. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason why we can we can say it about ourselves is because Jesus also says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And we need to hear that as men. I did not know that was your favorite. I've heard you say it, but I didn't know that was yeah. your favorite. That was your anchor. Wow. Which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. That. Wow. I love that. Because just like you, that's what I needed to outgrow porn. Yes. You're not a mistake. You know, and when he told Jesus that, Jesus hadn't done anything yet. So we don't have to perform for Abba. We'll, we'll never, quote, be good enough. No, he loves us because he loves us. And we're his. And we belong to him. So why not just enjoy the joy of enjoying him? Why not? And, and that's what I hope that real relationship that we're talking about with Christ is. Just enjoy him. Don't try to perform for him. Don't try to, quote, keep all the rules. Don't call yourself something that he's not calling you. Enjoy his company. Enjoy his presence and let him shower you with those words, those assuring words. 
You are my son in whom I'm well pleased. You are my adopted. You are my chosen. I consider you holy. You are blessed. You are a new creature. Man, our, man, identity is so critical, man. So critical. And Joe, I also wanted to say thank you so much. People may not know that you are going to be a leader at our upcoming retreat on healing from sexual abuse. Yes. And first of all, I got to thank you for even inviting me to, to be part of that because I think what you're doing is a seminal work. Um, I just haven't seen this anywhere else uh, or what you're doing. And I just applaud you for it. And I told you this before because um, I think a lot of healing can take place when we're ready to talk about it, but most men don't. And you have provided a platform for not only people like me, but for other people to come in and, and, and be part of the conversation. So, Drew, I'm, I am super pumped and excited to be part of what you're doing and what God is doing through you through it. Me too. I'm forsaking all and trusting him every day. What is it? Every, evermore. 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 Yeah. And also, everyone, please check out Joe's platform, Real Men Connect. We've got the links to everything in the show notes. And always remember, you are God's beloved son. In you, he is well pleased.